thought you were going to fall asleep and completely forget to say it (laughs) it's no but it is a very soothing thing when we say it especially because people can't see this but in your zoom background you've got a uh you well in your actual background you have a Mm -hmm. fire place on your tv yeah i got that tv fireplace app running through i'm like it's very relaxing thank you that is its goal i have skipped most holidays this year and to make up for that and because it's the end of the year and that is its own celebration i am going in hard on christmas like super 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 hard i feel like everybody's going hard on christmas Mm -hmm. this year which i'm fine with but the only thing i wasn't fine with was there was a lot of anti-halloween christmas sentiment like People that love Halloween were like, this year, I'm done with Halloween, October 31st, or, you know, November 1st. It's Christmas season, y'all. I was like, all right, chill the fuck out. Like, let's keep it spooky for a while. I was a little bit like that. I'm not going to lie. I was like, I wasn't like, we need and all y'all need to not be a part of Halloween. My thing was, I personally am skipping right over Halloween and Thanksgiving and going right into Christmas. Right. So I wasn't judging others on their well, Halloween hot take, but I certainly was not contributing at all to the Halloweenness because I don't want to do Halloween half-assed. It's either all I know. It's like if you're gonna, nothing. yeah. And well, where were you on Halloween? I was in, I was shooting my show. Were you somewhere spooky at least? Well, everywhere we go is spooky. So yeah, but by that point it became normal. I know, but you weren't like, <laughs> but you, but you weren't like at a truck stop. You weren't in the no. middle of, you know, you were settled somewhere spooky. I was settled in the middle of a Radisson Inn outside of some spooky place <laughs> that we were about to uh, go explore. <laughs> right. So, you know. Spooky Radisson. There's also that, the fact that I was also on the road. And, you know, and part, yeah. at this point, at I don't want to say at my age, because it's fun to dress up no matter how old you are. But I get a big kick of Halloween now via my child, like taking him yeah. out and watching the joy via him and since that is unable to be done this year i just was like you know what i just i gotta push past this it's not gonna it's only gonna make me sadder than i already am so i'm gonna go into a holiday whose entire uh decorative ground structure up is to be done indoors so Mm -hmm. (laughs) so Mm -hmm. that's why i find Christmas a little easier to get behind this year is because we're all stuck indoors anyway. And yeah, uh, outside of you. going outside and caroling, which I don't do anyhow, there's nothing I really need to go do outdoors that I can't also appreciate indoors a la the holiday season. That's just kind of my thought process. Buying that a Christmas a long... tree? Do you go out to buy a Christmas tree? Do you go to an actual uh, no, we Christmas have tree lot? Plastic tree uh because our dogs would eat all the water out of the like i have a cat and two dogs now and they would fucking trash it i think what we should do instead is kick off our untold hour murdered mistresses month hell yeah right how many listeners how many listeners thought we wouldn't follow through and have a murdered mistress episode i'm raising my hand right now (laughs) (laughs) Half of the hosting team didn't think it. Completely fucking forgot that we were doing that today until you texted me. I was like, I've got a great idea. And I'm like, thank fucking God, because I completely forgot. I've been trying to think of like a a Christmassy or a December pun for the month, but I've come up empty handed. Murder mistress, murdered mistress month is really the only thing that works. And 
There's nothing Christmassy about it, but that's fine. Murdered mistress month, but when we get closer to Christmas, maybe we can find a murdered mistress that was killed at Christmas. Oh my God, it rhymes. Oh my gosh, a murdered mistress murdered killed mistress at Christmas. Christmas story. You can even say Mary murdered mistress month. If we it's can find Mary a lady named Mary. Mystery. I mean, Mary like M-E-R-R-Y. Oh, I thought you meant M-A-R-Y like Jesus's mom. <laughs> no, no, I didn't mean Jesus's mom. Like have a Mary murdered mistress month oh, from the yeah, untold hour. <laughs> but that works too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I legit thought you meant um, Mary. Mary the Mary. But um, if you can find a... It, if you find a, a mistress named Mary who was murdered on Christmas, I mean, that's clutch. That'll be amazing. I think I might pull this off. <laughs> I think I might pull this off. Yeah. Um, yeah. Didn't Chappaquiddick, she wasn't named Mary, but wasn't she murdered around Christmas time? You know, I really don't know anything about Chappaquiddick. I mean, I know the broad strokes, but I don't know when it was. Wouldn't uh, it have been? We'll I thought it was like summer because wasn't it a. Anyway, weren't they all on a boat or something? No, she was. Well, they might have been at one point, but she died driving home. Gotcha. She drove off a pier. Supposedly. Oh, okay. Supposedly. Okay. Well, before we get into the murdered mistresses month, I want to kick off with weird of the week. W-E-E-K, not W-E-A-K. Just wanted to clarify that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, everybody right now is talking about this disappearing, reappearing monolith that is happening. And I feel like it would be remiss of us to not discuss it. So I have avoided reading anything about this. I've seen the headlines and I've been like, what the fuck is going on? I knew we'd talk about it. So I've just avoided um, reading about it. So I OK, so before I get into what I suspect it is, which is what most people think it is, let's uh, go over the rough details So it was actually discovered, the first one was discovered in Utah by the Utah's Department of Public Safety on November 18th of our good year, and I say that sarcastically, 2020. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's a mysterious metal monolith. It's 11 feet tall, and it appeared and then disappeared shortly after it did appear. Uh, Some Redditors actually uh, have done a deep dive of evidence into Google Maps and whatnot, and they've supposedly found some evidence saying that it was actually placed in Utah in this mountain range um, about five years previous to its discovery. And so then maybe, well, I don't want to get too far into it. So, yes, it's it's possibly have been has been at this location for as long as five years. Really? Yeah. Possibly via Reddit conspiracy theorists, but yeah, and evidence that they found. So, as soon as it appeared, it basically disappeared with a new metallic monolith uh, showing up in Romania, which is a super fucking cool, <laughs> but B is not an exact duplicate. It looks like it's like a distant cousin, like this one you can see rivets and soldering on it, and it's just not as like clean. Uh, however, well, let me ask one, you this, y'all. Do they are they are they? In, it's not that one disappears from one location and appears in another. They're still the other one is still existing, right? No. So it did. So it did seem in the beginning, until I get further along in the story, that it disappeared and reappeared in a mm-hmm. different location. Well, I've come to find out okay. that that's not necessarily okay. the case, and I'll get into that in a second. So uh, this Romanian monolith was discovered outside of the Romanian city a few meters away from an archaeological landmark known as the Petra David Dason Fortress. Like I said before, it looks very similar to its Utah cousin. uh, And as soon as the Romanian monolith was discovered, it too has seemingly disappeared overnight. Now, while nobody has captured any footage of the Romanian monolith removal, although many have come forward to say that it was actually rumored to have been removed by an unidentified party, 
The Utah monolith actually has been removed by a group of four unidentified men, and the removal was documented by this photographer, Ross Bernards, who actually went there to take pictures of the monolith at night, and then four dudes rolled up uh, that were part of, I'm assuming, the way that he described it, the park services, same group that discovered it, and thereby took it down. Apparently, some of the reasons given for the Utah removal is that a, it's considered litter. Public land is to be respected and this was out of place within a pristine and sensitive environment. Uh, my take on that is that, uh, yes, obviously you shouldn't be leaving things that shouldn't be left behind in these parks without the proper permissions or permits. You know, there's this isn't the yeah. first. Okay, so let me, I guess I there's just... Just to let the cat out of the bag, I, I take this as some sort of um, possible PR stunt, but I see this as really being like an art installation piece. Yeah, totally. And as such, this is not the first time that art pieces like this end up in natural environments or a way to utilize the environment to make the statement for the art piece. However, right. if you don't get the proper permits then, you know, you do run the risk of people that aren't into your fucking artistic opus to look at it as junk and problematic. Yeah. And that is essentially what I think is happening here, at least at the Utah site, is that, you know, because it was off the beaten path and considered a part of this, like, natural environment that people were trying to um, leave untouched as much as possible. It was fine when nobody knew about it because nobody knew about it, but it, because we're in a COVID situation, which the only things you're really able to do are things that are outdoors and you've been bored all year. And then this happens, like there was a huge influx of people going into this area, checking it out, you know, and it sounds yeah. it sounds like a bigger deal, maybe that they're then like it sounds like they're making it a big deal, like a big huff about it more than it actually was. But when you hear them explain about how this site never used to be really visited, the only way you can get there is on this four by four kind of trail. There's no public parking. And like they went the like park services showed up one day and it was like crowded to the gills with cars and somebody had brought a plane you're like okay i get why now they're having yeah. issues with it that said the artist in me is also like dude that's fucking rad and you should learn how sure. to work with it <laughs> so <laughs> so there's all these problems bernard said that once the guy that the photographer guy said that uh once the men approached they said to Bernard and his friend who was there taking photos. You better have gotten your pictures. And this is where I get a little like eye rolly, like, dude. Uh, the man then pushed the monolith until it was starting to lean over in order to try and take it down. And then another man felt the need, in my opinion, because I feel that there's a million better ways to uh, express your point. And this just makes you sound like a douche. Uh, felt yeah. the need to flex what I consider his masculine authority complex with the hot take of this is why you don't leave your trash in the desert. <laughs> it's like, dude, come on. Jeez. This is obviously an art yeah. installation. These people are here to take photos. I get that you're upset because it's, you know, got the potential to ruin this area. And I completely applaud you taking the right approach to somebody that put this there yeah. without the proper protocol but do you, do you need to, like really is that yeah. how, is that how you need to flex do you need to flex it like that can you be a little bit yeah, more you professional to, yeah you didn't have to put any sauce on it yeah just don't, like yeah just fucking tuck the dude bro back in a little bit right like i just i'm so over that fucking attitude it's like even if you have the best of intentions and what you're doing is technically 100 percent above board and correct you don't need to come at it with an attitude i'm so yeah. over that it's like people that you're like oh i'm sorry and they're like oh really you're sorry and you're like yeah, fucker. yeah. i just said i'm sorry but now i'm not fucking sorry anymore because you're an asshole like that yeah. shit. I hate that shit. That is like instant rage. And then they're like, well, why yeah. would I make like, oh my God. Then now we're getting into Jessica like issues. <laughs> but 
But yes, <laughs> needless to say, that is a quick and easy way to infuriate me. Is that, oh, really? You're sorry? No, I just yeah. like to say that because it, you like, because I like to like punish myself emotionally. Like, fuck off. Anyway. Well, I feel like, like anytime approach. there's somebody, anytime there's somebody, uh, every once in a while, there's somebody that doesn't often get like a public forum and then they're interviewed for a press conference or a soundbite in a news article. And if they choose that moment to be sassy, you're like, ew, who are you, dude? Yeah. It's like they it's love like, that little uh, time to shine. Well, yeah. And it's like, why does everybody's time to shine translate into I need to pretend like I'm an authoritative hard ass? Yeah. Like, no, just be cool. Like, just be cool mm -hmm. about it. You, there's a gazillion ways you could have said this better. Like, yeah, well, it's really cool monument. What a neat idea. But unfortunately, you know, it's ruining the landscape and we can't have that here. Yeah. That's all it would take. That's all it would take. Yeah. But no, you've got to say this is why you don't leave your trash in the desert and then kick at it like a fucking hard ass. Oh, fucking idiots. Uh -huh. Anyway, after that, everyone leaned super hard into uh, into the monolith, knocked it over. And that is where the Utah one has gone. So the Utah one was taken down by this group that um, Bernard's says in his, uh, in his estimation as part of the park service to try and calm that whole area down. Nobody knows what's really happening over in Romania, but that has now also since hmm. disappeared. And uh, yeah, so this basically boiled down to the idea that I think it's an art installation piece. It probably was put in the Utah desert five years ago with the thought process of we're never going to, like this isn't gonna kick off the rest of it until somebody announces that they found this particular one. Do you know what I mean? It's like a flash Yeah, mob. yeah. Like we're not gonna do this. Right. We're not gonna, this is an artistic flash mob. We're not gonna launch this uh, initiative off until why didn't they have someone go with monoliths why didn't they have somebody discover it sooner like they could have had a plant discover it sooner because well, they don't want higher... to because that's part of their art right like it either stays there forever right. they're actually chilling yeah 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 it's like why did okay. people make some of those um crop circles and never come forward about it until whenever they right. did it's like oh well that's part of their shtick like it, it's part of the story that's like the remember yeah, that gotcha. remember when we talked about the ten thousand year clock that's like basically hidden away in a mountain yeah, somewhere totally. and nobody's gonna ever be allowed to see it, but there's gonna be this clock that's working with like directions and all this stuff on how to keep it going. It's like that. Yeah. It's there because it's it's there. But yeah, long story short, yeah. I suspect that they're just making making an artistic statement. And yeah. also Everybody else can just chill on the attitude. <laughs> that's, Where that's, is it going to show up next? Where do you think no the next monolith, monolith will drop? I have no idea. I mean, I feel like a Stonehenge is an obvious, but maybe too obvious and also yeah. too touristy. So I don't know, probably possibly there, but probably not. I really have no idea. Like if you were to ask me on, on the, um, if you were to ask me to bet you a hundred bucks where I thought it was going to be next, I would not have put Romania on that list. I probably would have said something the like trick, Rome. <laughs> I guess if the artistic statement is about something this metallic and man-made appearing in a natural environment, then it wouldn't happen in a city. But I think it'd be cool if it popped up in the middle of a city, a busy that'd area. Because yeah. that'd be also harder to get done on the low. Super hard. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Anyway, so moving on. Tourists' holiday snap reignites the Loch Ness monster debate. Ooh, Hell yeah. This is a really good You know good I'm here photo. for Loch Ness. Yeah, this is legit. Have you seen this at all? No. I'll post this to our Facebook page. They actually have a copy of the image. It's phenomenal. You should look it up right now while I'm talking about this story. So Steve Chalice from Southampton photographed a huge and weird as fuck creature surfacing within Loch Ness. And many believe that this creature actually is the Loch Ness monster that so many folks have reported seeing throughout the decades. 
Mr. Chalice, Mr. Steve Chalice, was able to take the shot from shore across the lake from Urquhart Castle. And many believe it is the best photographic evidence yet. It's, I looked at it, it's super clear. It's uh, undeniably some sort of weird fish, animal creature thing. I do think that this could possibly be what people are calling the Loch Ness Monster. Um, gotcha. He estimates that whatever he saw and captured on camera was about eight feet long and believes that it's actually a huge catfish. And I want to preface again that that's why I'm saying I believe that this is what people think is a Loch Ness Monster. I don't uh-huh. know necessarily if there's like some sort of offshoot of a plesiosaur living in Loch Ness, but having done... Uh, my own episode on something very similar to this coming up in uh, this yeah. season's um, Expedition X, a huge catfish, a huge sturgeon, some, I mean, you know, some other law, like offshoot of an animal that has been able to adapt to that environment from the dinosaur days and has just been, man- yeah. and just has managed to, you know, survive in small pockets throughout, I do think is completely feasible. And then that's what people would call the monster. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like how totally. the Kraken, it was actually a gigantic squid and those are legitly and real, but that's what a Kraken yeah. was considered. So, yes, he's saying he saw something that looked to be about eight feet long, and he believes that it's a huge catfish. Other people have mentioned that it's possibly a sturgeon, which can also get really large and completely freaky looking. Again, um, definitely check out one of the episodes, upcoming episodes of Expedition X, because we hit on something extremely close to this. Um, needless to say, the Loch Ness community is excited, but apprehensive. And I do not blame them because while the picture is very stunning and very, um, exciting to look at and see, uh, it does look a little photoshopped a little bit. Yeah. Roland Watson, who's a writer, but he also runs the Loch Ness mystery blog says that it's the best picture of a possible Loch Ness monster ever. However, he does have a caveat that, uh, and this is a quote, a zoom in on the object raises an eyebrow. Uh, He thinks it looks a little photoshopped. However, uh, Steve swears it's not photoshopped, that it's actually real. And he is in conversation with Roland right now discussing with each other uh, its authenticity and how how it can be proven. So they're talking to each other right now about how to uh, authenticate this photo. Um, Steve, like again, is adamant that the photo is legit and not photoshopped. However, he does say that he believes he actually snapped a picture of nothing more than a real big fish, but a big the fish weird thing- that could be what people a are monster. saying is a Loch Ness monster, in my opinion. Yeah. The, uh, the, the thing that makes it look photoshopped to me is that, uh, the waves, like the ripples don't seem to be moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. around the fish they kind of like continue their straight pattern on either side of the fish instead of being like yeah you know. the only thing i can think of to counteract your statement is that yeah. and they don't mention this in the article which is a little frustrating or at least in the article that i read is that you don't know how much traffic is on that lake around that yeah at that time so if there's a lot of boats going around and it's a big tourist spot in Loch Ness so if there's boats or tours or anything like that going around or even if there's mm-hmm. weird winds kind of blowing across the top of the water it could kind of create that weird wave effect where like you've got waves coming from one side or looking like they're going to a different direction yeah even though the object's cutting across them in a weird way like I've like I try to sound my I try, I'm trying to make my sound myself sound as if I know what I'm talking about, but having uh, gone through this with an actual scientist not too long ago, there are possible uh, wave anomalies that can kind of give you that weird optical illusion look where it does look fake, but it actually is real. Yeah. So I think that's what this guy yeah. is probably talking to this Loch Ness monster buff about is like, okay, how are we going to to prove this. 
And yeah. it's and I kind of believe this guy. Like even though the photo does look a little too perfect, I I feel right. like this guy has got nothing really to gain. Like the story isn't hasn't necessarily taken off. I happened to find it during a like a rando deep dive. Like it wasn't like top of the list on weird news of the week kind of shit that I searched. So I'm like, all right, this is yeah, it's making small ripples. So uh, you know. yeah, and the fact that he's also very this guy's also very adamant that he believes he found like a fish. I think yeah is uh is better than saying oh i i caught loch ness on camera he's like no i caught a big fish on camera and other people probably think it's loch ness when they see it in the water yeah because exactly. it obviously you know it, it 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 potentially lives there so yeah this one's really cool we actually had a lot of cool weird of the week this week archaeologists in turkey have uncovered a mysterious ancient kingdom lost to history so king midas's kingdom so for those of you who don't know King Midas is, he is the king who was granted his wish and curse because it comes back to bite him later that everything he touches shall turn into gold. He has quite literally turned up in Turkey, like legit. Uh, last year, archaeologists were researching a mound in Turkey called Turkmen Karahoyuk when a local a uh, farmer ended up speaking to them and mentioned that the recent dredge of a nearby canal actually revealed and unearthed a large stone with a bunch of strange inscriptions on it. Oh, Archaeologists wow. then went to the canal, studied the stone, and immediately determined that it was definitely ancient, no doubt in their mind, and that the inscription was Luvian, the language used in that area during the Bronze and Iron Ages. So this inscription on the stone was the declaration of a military victory. So basically ancient propaganda and the subsequent defeat of Phrygia. It was a kingdom in Anatolia, which existed about 3000 years ago. So the royal base of Phrygia was ruled by many men named Midas, but dating the stone and the inscription therein actually suggests that the hieroglyphics are talking about the King Midas, the one that actually got the curse. Mm -hmm. So the stone markings also have special symbolism that the military uh, bragging stone actually came from King Heratapu and that Midas was actually captured by King Heratapu's forces. Um, so as a double win for archaeologists and historians in regards to this, uh, A, not only did they find potentially uh, suggestions that the King Midas truly existed and was a part of all this, but um, the fact that there's hardly anything known about King Haratapu, uh, but the inscription as well as other evidence suggests that this city that they're digging around, which was nearby this canal, was actually his capital city. So they've got mm -hmm. essentially all this new evidence potentially around this king that they hardly knew anything of up until this point, as well as that king's propaganda about taking over King Midas and King Midas's kingdom, the one that was rumored to be able to turn anything he touched into gold, which is pretty fucking yeah. cool. Uh, a quote from one of mm -hmm. the archaeologists says, we had no idea about this kingdom. In a flash, we had profound new information on the Iron Age Middle East. So that is like a really, really big deal because it's very yeah. rare, I think, to, to be able to discover big deal things like that now. You know, like most yeah. of that kind of discovery comes out of Brazil or the rainforest where the rainforests have grown over everything. And so have been really able to hide it. But when you look at the picture of this mound in Turkey, it literally just looks like a mound of dirt. And, and in the description of the photos, they go into a little bit more detail on what the archaeologists are hoping to find there. And it literally is like we are like we just scratched the surface. We're going to find palaces and treasure and people's homes and burial sites. And it's just like it is it's just history just waiting to be uncovered. So they're going to find a bunch of yeah. cool shit out there. I'm going to actually try and keep my eye on this story so we can follow any new um, progression on it 
as we move forward. Totally. So that is my word of the week. I have been dying to hear about your murdered mistress's story. The first one to kick it off because for listeners, I actually texted Bowser after he told me he had some content. I was like, who are you going to talk about? And he's like, I can't tell you. I'm going to reveal it during the podcast. So you are hearing it at the exact same time that I'm hearing it. Well, I hope you haven't heard this story. Oh, my God. I'm so excited. Who did you pick? I'm going to reveal it and you'll be like, oh, yeah, dude, that's famous. I've watched like 10 documentaries on it. Oh, God. But did you know that Frank Lloyd Wright had a mistress who was murdered? No. Famed architect, Frank Lloyd Wright. No, I did not. Okay. Okay. So he had a mistress whose name was Martha Borthwick or Mama. Her nickname was Mama. Um, That's a cool She was married. Yeah. Her her married name was Martha Cheney. because uh, Edwin Cheney was her husband. He was this Chicago businessman. So this is what's interesting. Mm-hmm. Let's just take it from take it from the top. I don't want to tell you how it happened, who did it. It it really read like a a horror show. I mean, I first read uh, an article. I came across an article that I think was on NPR because there was a book written about this somewhat recently. And then that led me down a little rabbit hole and I went back and read the Wikipedia and then I listened to like two different podcasts about it. And um, most of the, most everybody has the same information because it happened so long ago. And to be honest, there weren't many witnesses that there's not a lot of surviving information. So everything that I could gather about it uh, was congruent with the next thing that I listened to. But this is how it all started. This is what's wild. This businessman in Chicago hires Frank Lloyd Wright to design a house for him. Edwin Cheney hires Frank Lloyd Wright in 1903. And Frank Lloyd Wright is like, yeah, dude, I'll I'll design a house for you. Hell yeah. So he starts working on this project. And the next thing you know, Frank Lloyd Wright, who I didn't realize was such a scoundrel, Frank Lloyd Wright was like, well, dang, Edwin. Who's that? And Edwin's like, that? That's my wife, dude. That's Martha or Mama. Wait a minute. Back up. Where did you say Frank Lloyd Wright was building this house? In Chicago. I think I have heard about this, but didn't have you? So I don't know. So, okay. So, so funny you bring this up. A friend of mine just sent me a Frank Lloyd Wright house listing for sale in Michigan. Like oh, wow. Three, uh, let's just read it. 300,000. It's just sad how cheap oh, it is. Oh, my sad. gosh. Needless to say, apparently, he actually has a lot of houses all throughout the Midwest. I know yeah. of one that he built for a couple whose son, little son, then drowned in the pond in oh, the backyard. Wow. Is that the same one as this? No. Group? Okay, okay, because no. I thought that they had also had an affair at some point at that house, but I might have been getting my stories confused. Okay, so this well, is completely different from that. Completely different, but one thing I'll say is uh, I don't I don't know much about Frank Lloyd Wright's personal life, but after reading the bit that I did about this, it kind of sounds like he might have had uh, many affairs. I mean, I don't want to say he did, but basically he falls in love with Edwin Cheney's wife. He's like, okay, I see you, Martha. I see you, Mama. So they decide to leave their significant others. Okay. And Edwin grants her a divorce. He's like, okay, yeah, fuck it. Fine. If you don't want to be with me, you want to be with Frank Lloyd Wright. Fuck it. But Frank Lloyd Wright's, yeah. But Frank Lloyd Wright's wife is just angry and doesn't want to grant him the divorce. They have six kids together. Oh and my the, God. Well, yeah. I don't blame her. And this dude's like, totally. And this dude's like, oh, but I want out because, you know, I, I, Mama is so cute. So for a while, I think Mama and Frank Lloyd Wright like go to Germany. But they, uh, a few years later, his wife does grant him the divorce. And 
Frank Lloyd Wright decides to build a home for them to kind of be safe from like the press because back mm-hmm. then it was like um, some of the articles I read had the like old school newspaper. It's crazy. It was like gossip headlines in the 19, you know, it was probably, it was like 1912 and 13, I think when they were first uh, getting together. Um, so anyway, so he builds this house for them in Wisconsin and it's called, oh gosh, this, just like you with all of the different words you just had to say for we are the week. <laughs> it's Taliesin, I believe, is the name of this estate. Taliesin okay. in Wisconsin. And he builds it so that they can have a place to just like be alone. Now, the place gets pretty staffed up. Um, you know, there's there's cooks, there's groundskeepers. And one of the the handymen that he hired is this is this guy named Julian Carlton. And Julian's wife, Gertrude, was uh, a, a cook for Frank Lloyd for Wright. And for so them. they're living in this new Taliesin, Taliesin yeah. house. Taliesin. Okay. So Taliesin. they're living in Taliesin. They've got a small staff. Okay. Um, and uh, and everything's kind of going okay. This guy, uh, this guy um, Julian, is from Barbados, and there was mention of him kind of being like a hard employee. I think he got into some fights with some of the other employees on mm-hmm. the uh, on the estate, but there was never anything too crazy. And there definitely wasn't anything that seemed like it was foretelling of like a, a, a big explosion of anger um, from this guy. But on August 15th in 1914, Frank is away uh, on business, but his uh, mistress Martha... Her two children, John and Martha, are sitting down to have lunch, and they're joined by five of the other employees, someone named Emil, a guy named Thomas, someone named David, Herbert, and William um, Weston, who I believe like was the, uh, the, the groundskeeper, like the, the head dude of the property, this guy William. And also William had a little son. They're all having lunch on August 15th when the handyman, Julian, uh, goes up to William Weston and asks for permission to quickly go and retrieve a container of gasoline uh, in order to clean some messy rugs. And William Weston's like, yeah, um, okay, sure, go get some gasoline, my guy. Julian Carlton comes back, not only with a container of gasoline, but He's carrying a large axe. When he comes back to the house, most of the people are in the dining room having lunch. But Martha and her two kids are out on the porch. Julian kills all three of them with an axe. What? Like if, like straight away. What? Holy shit! Lunch, lunchtime. Just walks up to Martha and her two kids outside of the dining room and murders them with an axe. Then he proceeds to How old are the kids. Did you fuck me on this? I, 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 I'm sorry, but I do think they were young. I think they were young. Uh, okay, no, I don't need to know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, then he proceeds to. This is what I don't understand, and I've the 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 two podcasts I listened to didn't mention this, and then the the amount that I've read didn't mention this, but. They must have been far enough away from the dining room to where the people in the dining room couldn't hear their screams because he kills them. Then he proceeds to lock up the doors of the dining room and locking basically make everybody it, inside. Locking everybody inside. Then he pours gasoline under the door of the dining room so that the dining room fills with gasoline. And oh, by the way. Holy when everybody, shit. Yeah. When everybody gathered to have lunch, his wife was technically there. This guy, Julian's wife, Gertrude, was the cook and she was there. But he tells her to leave. He's like, hey, uh, you should leave. And she does without asking any questions. She's like, oh, OK. So she leaves. Then he goes and gets the gasoline and he comes back with that and the axe, kills Martha and her kids, pours the gasoline underneath the 
the locked doors. Were you about to ask a question? No, I'm stunned. Oh. Yeah. Then they're they're all sitting in there. These other employees, and um, they see this liquid spilling into the room, and they think it's like soap and water from the kitchen or from some other area of the house. But then one of them smells gasoline. And before they can do anything, he lights it and there's just a streak of flame shoots into the dining room, lights up the dining room. Holy I mean, shit. people catch fire immediately. And what he's done is the way he's blocked the doors, he left like one window that they could break through if they think to break through it. And then this is what he does. This is insane. This is when so I was reading this, I was like, window with the fucking yeah. axe. Yeah. He stands yeah. outside the window what with an axe. Fucking nutbag. And kills like three more of the people. Like what I don't understand is, I don't know that one by one, they came out and one by one, he murdered them with an axe. You would think that enough of them would have spilled out of the window at once to where he gets tackled. But like, he's able to fucking murder multiple people in a row. But then two of them do get away. Um, uh-huh. Some some of the people he attacked that were climbing out of the window don't immediately die. But they do die hours later, later. at a hospital. So all in all... Between Martha, her two kids, and then the the three that he got as they got out of the window, and then one that died, I think, later at the hospital. There were seven victims in total. Holy shit. Um, yeah. So, this dude, um, Julian, is found, um, like, one report said he was found just deep in the woods. Another says that he was found in, like, a shack. I mean, it might have been, like, a shack in the woods. But this is what's wild. Uh, he was found, and he had already ingested acid. He had taken, like, a lethal dose of hydrochloric acid to uh, kill himself. But, um, but it didn't kill him. So you're telling me... Yeah. He kills all these people, uh, those that aren't murdered by his axe in the beginning and aren't burnt to death in the dining room. He then kills as they're trying to escape out of this rando window that they've discovered. Um, He then runs off into the woods. And while he's out there, he takes acid, like the Bernie, Bernie, ouchy kind, not this 1960s kind, in order to kill himself. But it doesn't kill him. And police then find him. And now what happens? Police then find him and um, they uh, I, he he's taken to jail. I don't even know if I don't know if he like stood trial. Um, I mean, he was still clutching the bloody axe when they found him. Um, so so oh yeah, no, there was no trial. Actually, there was no trial. But this is what's wild. He died in jail of starvation. So he refused to eat? Yeah, and he refused any medical treatment. Um, And so he he died in jail of starvation. I think he only died like seven weeks after being being captured. Yeah, he only lived for seven and a half more weeks. And he never, never divulged a motive. And over the... What the fuck? Like, okay, I gotta yes. ask a question. I mean, I'm gonna. A- I feel like I'm gonna ask what you're about to answer, but I just feel like I need to get it out of my brain. Have any like uh, profilers or psychologists looked at this evidence now in more modern times, or what have you, and like assessed it and come up with any idea of what could have possibly motivated him to do this? Not that I saw the the <laughs> book that the book that is is more in depth seems to be focused on the the relationship of Martha and Frank Lloyd Wright and not necessarily about the psychology of Julian. Although there might be more information on that in that in the book, but, but I everything mean, like, I found was just this question have, mark. What? But what would their affair well, have anything to do with why he would decide to kill her and her kids and all these other people I know. living in the house? They no say sense. that uh, some of the theories are that uh, 
that he had been victimized by some of his coworkers and and been uh, bullied and called racial slurs. He was from Barbados. So, but that doesn't, I mean, I know that may very well have happened, but I, I don't necessarily know that that's like um, an ex- explanation of a motive for a mass, mass murder. murder right? I mean, yeah. Right. Like, yeah. That's Some all. people say he was in an argument with one of the other coworkers over a horse and ownership uh, over this horse. That also is like, okay, axe murder. And then, um, axe, not only axe uh, murder, axe murder, fire, and killing children. Like, yeah, what? Totally. Yeah, that was like total annihilation. Like, I'm gonna not. Okay, I could see. I mean, I can't see, but if we were going to, I guess, scale this on a on on a on a understandable to not understandable scale, I could see. You know. Yeah very angry with how you're being treated with your actual immediate co-workers who are the ones doing the inappropriate you know stuff but like set them lock them in or like so premeditated lock them in a room with gasoline and set them on fire and then wait outside the window with a fucking axe and then also chop up children in front of their mother and then kill her like what the totally. actual fuck? I'm sorry. There's literally nothing that justifies that. I know, I know. And some people say that he was uh, that there had been discussion from Martha that he was getting fired soon. But like, yeah, I mean, still. Um, but his wife did say that he had been super, super paranoid in recent weeks and wouldn't explain why to her that he had been like sleeping with the axe and had been on edge and acting like at any point he was going to get attacked weird Um, so i don't know what was going on did they Um, do an autopsy or find out if anything was in it within him that was like causing this anxiety that i know of no not that i know of Met one one article I read said like mentally unstable Julian, but I, but I I'm like well mentally unstable because we now know he committed a mass murder or was he known to be mentally unstable previous yeah. and they didn't they didn't explain. Um, so this, and then also this is in, insane. Um, he uh the the Taliesin was rebuilt. Frank Lloyd Wright rebuilt it, and then. It burned down again. It burned oh, down this place is again. Cursed. I know. It burned down again in 1925 uh, just from a, an electrical fire. Um, but that is wild that he rebuilt. And this is no small. Like if you look up this this compound, it, it, it's um, so it's a. Uh, it's now a, a, what do they call it? Like a preserve. You know, you can go mm-hmm. as, a, as a tourist and, and, and still to this day uh, walk the, uh, walk the, uh, the grounds because it was rebuilt after it burned down in 1925. Holy so this is like shit. Taliesin, you know, Mark III. So a lot of weird murders have supposedly occurred in either Frank Lloyd Wright designed homes or his son's homes like the doctor that supposedly killed the black dahlia in the soden house which i recently just went to actually i often get the soden house and the aztec house confused i think aztec one was in blade runner and in house on haunted hill with vincent price and the soden house is known for the black dahlia murders wouldn't it be wild to find out that like Frank Lloyd Wright, like under all of these Frank Lloyd Wright structures, is some kind of, you know, satanic uh, sigil that, that like connects all the properties in this. Like somebody has to have united all of the like tragedies of Frank Lloyd Wright properties. Oh wait, yes, Architect Magazine has. Let me look up Architect Magazine. Frank Lloyd Wright homes with haunted histories. So obviously Taliesin is the first one because of how gruesome that murder was. Next up yeah. is uh, the Ennis house, which is the Mayan, I, I call like, okay, so this is the house I'm talking about. 
The Ennis House is the Mayan revival architecture style and is a right masterpiece. And that is the one that was on House on Haunted Hill in 1959 with Vincent Price, and as well as being in other things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer, but also as a Blade Runner. Then there's the Dana Thomas House, um, who hmm. was also, uh, oh, her lavish spending ended up being her demise. Unable to maintain her lifestyle, she allegedly spoke to the occult and hosted seances to seek advice on how to handle her money. So there's that. She was eventually hospitalized for insanity and died in 1946. There's the Pawson House. In Phoenix, completed in 1940 as a winter getaway from San Francisco. And they're saying all of these have haunted elements? Well, all of them have creep like creepy elements behind it. Obviously, like the Ennis house uh, yeah. is not. And they don't even have the Soden house in here, which is the Black Dahlia one. But they do have other ones that I did not know about, like... Um, this uh this dana thomas house and the Pawson house which apparently the Pawson house which is the one in phoenix it was uh, two ladies this woman named rose and her sister gertrude who lived there they only lived there for a season because then it burnt to the ground when an ember blew into a curtain in 1942. Uh, the remains of the house were left untouched for 30 years making it a hangout spot called ship rock because of the hmm. eerie remains left over from the chimney. And let's see, that is it. I don't know why that's considered creepy, but yeah. So it looks like uh, Architect Digest tried to do something of uh, a collection of weird yeah. right homes, but not as good as it should probably have been. Needless I guess to say, Frank I'm Boyd... starting to think that there's something weird going on here. Totally. And I guess, and I meant to say this earlier, but um, he, I, I didn't realize he was known to be such a, a philanderer, but his outlook was, his quote is something like, high-minded men deserve to live lawless lives or something like that. Where, oh, how and I'm like, That's totally. Like I'm like, well, the dude. Step away from being a, a cult leader. Like, hey, I'm a cult I leader, know. so we should all fuck. Like, whatever. Oh, Totally. Well, and uh, which, by the way, I don't know if either I don't know if you or you and I have talked about any of the Nexium documentary stuff. But did you watch any of that? We could, we don't have to talk about it now. But oh, uh, you mean yes, I have watched all of it. Okay, yeah, I did too. Um, but yeah, he and he he dated so many different women, and and weeks after Martha's death, he started dating his next girlfriend. Um, God. who was kind of like a, supposedly like a fangirl of his. But anyway, uh, just insane to me. Insane that I had, uh, and I've visited Frank Lloyd Wright properties, the ones in LA for sure. I'd yeah. never known that there was this axe murder massacre in his history. Um, me especially one that has such grisly details. And I definitely left out some of the details as far as, you know, just how many wax of the axe it took to kill certain people like some of these articles are really in depth um which is also interesting to me because i won't say the details but i wonder how they piece together some of these details because the murder of martha with the and her children i don't think there were any witnesses to and yet well, i've read detailed bodies, descriptions right? right and i guess from that they could deduce like who ran in which direction and who was hit first? Because the details I read were all of that shit broken down, which is just wild to me that they can piece that mm -hmm. together. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's uh, that's 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 our first murdered mistress is is Martha. Holy crap! Uh, or or Mama Borthwick. I had no idea. I would love to do a personal deeper dive on this just for, like myself. Like, I feel like this is a good story where I would then log off of this zoom call and then spend the next hour. Oh yeah. At all of these articles, but you lost me on the kids thing. I can't. I oh, know. My God. Dude, you're a terrible friend, but <laughs> I am a terrible friend. I, I however am. will. I think so, there's just so many weird 
tragedies that seem to happen in Frank Lloyd Wright homes, like how many of them have burned down, how many like deaths have occurred in them, murders, yeah, like bad fortunes occurring. Like I am actually going to compile a list of like all the fucked up shit that has happened totally within Frank Lloyd Wright homes because there is that one. I know there's a story about a kid who like a, a group of of parents who's who like always wanted a home like that he could design. And they actually wrote, yeah. I think, directly to him, begging him to make an affordable house for them because they were like typical middle American 1940s, you know, Midwestern, you know, workers. And, but they loved his style and he actually did create one for them. And then I think their child ended up drowning in like the backyard pond or something. And then the whole family ended up falling apart. And then it also started burning down once, but they were managed to save part of it. I don't, I, it's been a long time since I've read it, but I'll have to look it up. But there's like tragedy seems to follow these Frank Lloyd Wright homes. Yeah. It's so strange. And, uh, and just to restate, because I feel like I kind of glossed over the timeline. They met in 1903. Mm-hmm. And pretty, pretty soon started having their affair, but um, was not she was not granted a divorce from her husband, I think, until 1909. And then in 1911, they started building this Taliesin house. And then 1914 is when the murders happened. So it was a very long. Yeah, I guess what I think of the term mistress or affair, I think of, you know, like a short relationship like a a year at best right but this was this was a long relationship and he was married like for a lot of it um oh he was still married to his first or his i I assume first wife by the time yeah i think it was his first wife that he was with before martha um i I, he wasn't married at the time of the murders i think they were already they they were eventually divorced um but it took a while she said no in the beginning what a story. What yeah. a way to kick off murdered mistresses. Mary Murder Mist Murdered Mary Mistress Murder Month. Mistress Month. Dang. I yep. am impressed with what you brought to the table. All right. Well, let's move into some listener stories. We grabbed a couple from our Discord channel as well as our email. So, Bowser, do you want to start? Well, let me see if Onyx wants to start. I meant Onyx. Well, I was gonna—I knew I tossed that to you the wrong way, and I was hoping you'd be like, "Well, let me get him in here." And then Onyx is gonna read one. (laughs) I think Onyx can tackle both of these. Onyx, do you want to read one of these? I like the idea that he's like kept in a—he's kept in a uh, um, a, what was that show? Small Wonder. Didn't she sleep in the closet? He's like that. He sleeps upright. He sleeps in the class. And uh, okay, so this first one, it seems like this first one's about Frankenstein. Yeah, it's kind of which a is, cool little history. Which is great because I just rewatched Transylvania 65000 this week. Oh, for anybody that Ew. doesn't know. All right. Uh, Frankenstein. So, something I thought I'd mention here I read recently that an amateur scientist called Andrew Cross lived near where I grew up in Somerset, England. I don't know. He studied electricity and set up a huge lightning collector, to which some of the locals grew very suspicious of. He presented his results in 1814 to an audience, including one Mary Shelley. Now, Mary Shelley is also thought to have traveled the same year through an area of Germany where there's a castle Frankenstein just outside a town called Darmstadt. It's here that a professional alchemist lived in 1673 who is thought to have dug up and experimented on dead bodies. I'm thinking she used both as inspiration for her book, FYI, the literal English translation of Darmstadt is Intestine Town. Wow. That's cool. That does sound like a perfect Onyx email. Yeah, gosh. Uh, That's awesome that that guy, uh, that 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 place is, uh, Darmstadt means Intestine Town. Ooh. You want Onyx to read this next one? Ooh, it's sweet and spooky. Uh, I like sweet and spooky. I like sweet and spooky. Okay. This is uh, kind of a sweet story, but spooky nonetheless. Last year in August, my great-grandmother passed away. We were very close, and her death hit me very hard. 
Well, fast forward to her funeral, there were roses everywhere. She loved roses, and when the services as my brother and I went to put roses on her grave, as they were lowering the casket, we decided to take a rose home for ourselves. I ended up treating said rose horribly, accidentally sat on it in the car, and then left it in the hot car while the family went to go eat. It was in pretty rough shape by the time my wife and I got home. That's right, y'all didn't know Onyx was married. It laid on my coffee table for a few hours before I decided to put it in water to see if it would come back to life. It sat on a table in my dining room, and that night, I saw a small shadow figure next to the rose. Mind you, Grandma was maybe five feet tall, and it was defined enough that I saw a head and shoulders. Well, the morning I woke up, and that rose was standing straight and was full of life. I feel like Grandma came and fixed the flower that I ruined. After all this, when it finally died, it dried out in such a way that it still looks like a living rose. Oh my God, that oh, is wow. sweet. I love that story. That's that is a good so. One. That is a sweet and spooky. Oh, Heck yeah! I love the sweet and spooky ones. Yeah. There's just there's enough doom and gloomy ones that having a nice sweet and spooky one just is a palate cleanser. I agree. I agree. Okay, so I have one from Maya. She says we could share her name. She's writing to us from Davenport, Florida. So thank you, Maya. She says she's been a huge fan of us even back in our Bizarre States days. And she's glad that we're back, which is awesome. And she has written in. So she's got two short stories. Uh, The first one took place a few years ago when I lived in Nashville. A friend of mine told me about having a weird experience while hiking to a waterfall. He had wandered down a little side path and it came to a clearing in the woods. In the middle of the clearing were some sunken stones, which made the outline of what he assumed was a foundation from long ago, since this was in the middle of a state park. He said he had a weird feeling there. The hairs on his neck and arms stood up and his breathing became strained. He turned and went the way he came, heading straight for the waterfall to cool down. Months later, I go hiking with a group of friends. We're getting lost in the woods, enjoying the thick green canopy and the bright blue sky, taking in the birds chirping and laughing at who jumps when a lizard or a squirrel rustles in a bush and they think it's a snake. Someone suggests that we go down another side path. We all agree and we end up at a clearing. As soon as I emerged into the cleared space, I have trouble breathing. This is not odd to me, however, because I have terrible allergies and I was out of shape and hiking. So I took a seat on the ground and drank some water while my friends walked around the area, hoping, uh, hopping down into the small stone structure, all the while speculating what it might have been. I'm, in the meantime, still having a bit of trouble breathing, but I chalk it up to allergies and join my friends. And when I got to the middle of the structure, I ended up feeling a heaviness, not just in my chest, keeping me from breathing properly, but hovering over. I looked up at the blue sky and then I noticed that I didn't hear anything. My friends will st- my friends were still there, but they were all just fixated on their own things like phones or looking at the rocks, etc. But it wasn't the absence of their voices that unnerved me. It was the actual silence of the woods. No birds, no lizards, squirrels, crickets, nothing. It was eerily quiet and I had no interest in finding out why. We all continued on and merely minutes after leaving the area, I could breathe normally again. I had completely forgotten about my friend's experience until I left and could breathe on my own. And I called him that night and he confirmed that we went to the exact same place. I think he looked into it, but I unfortunately don't know if he ever found out anything about that area. My other story just happened last night. So a little side note, I had just gotten my hair done in long twists and braids for the first time in my life. I usually have big shoulder length curly hair. And as many women know, when you change up your hair dramatically, you get a whole new energy with it, at least for a little while. I do know because I just got highlights put in mind and I'm feeling great. (laughs) (laughs) I completely identify with what she's saying here. So lately I've been channeling my inner Angela Bassett in American Horror Story Coven. Oh, my one of my favorite ones. Last night, my husband unexpectedly had to work late and I'm home alone. It's a normal enough night when I just start getting this strange feeling. I don't necessarily feel like I'm being watched, but I feel a presence, a spike in energy that even gives me a jolt. I didn't necessarily feel negative, but it gave me a heightened awareness. I always leave the curtains on my back sliding glass door wide open, even at night because no one is ever out there, but I had the impulse to close them. I sat there wondering why and where I could be feeling this energy from, 
when I remembered I had some sage in a drawer. It's been a while since I smudged my space and this was as good of a time as any. I found a borderline dangerously dry bundle of sage that had probably been in that drawer for about three years. It was, I was a bit apprehensive, but I didn't have any alternative, so I went for it. I lit the sage and walked from my back door to my front door, but before I got to my front door, the embers went out. I stupidly didn't put the matches in my pocket, so I walked back to my back door to grab them. When I lit the sage again, I was standing in front of a very old, ornate mirror that I had gotten from my husband's grandmother's house, who had passed away last year. With the stairs to my left um, and my front door to my right, I was angling the sage up at the corner between my front door and the mirror wall and saying my mantra when I noticed in the reflection of the mirror that the embers looked strange. So with my arms still holding it up in the air, I turned the burning end of the sage towards myself and the embers made two perfect circles, which the rest of the sage remained extinguished, making two glowing eyes looking down on me from the corner. I realized I had forgotten to leave a window or a door open. I lowered the sage and when I lifted it back up, the entire bundle was extinguished. Safe to say I promptly Googled how to smudge correctly, making sure I didn't just start something that I couldn't finish. It hasn't been long enough to tell if it worked and the energy has moved on. Maybe it was my overactive imagination coupled with being home alone. Maybe it was my voodoo priestess persona getting the better of me, or maybe something traveled with that old mirror. I guess I'll just have to wait and see. I hope you liked my moderately short stories. Stay spooky. <laughs> Bye. Wow. I, is it weird that I'm kind of hoping safely, of course, that um, in a good way, her place is haunted so that she can write to us and tell us like, oh, my God, this is oh, what's yeah. happening. <laughs> like, no, listen, my, I, sure. don't want, I don't want you to have anything visiting in your home that you don't want to have there. But that's also a really cool story. Yeah. So if anything does occur, yeah. please let us know. <laughs> For sure. Um, well, okay. that's it, guys. Thank you for helping us kickstart our first themed month of this podcast. Merry Murder Mistresses Month in honor of Christmas, I guess. Uh, I want to preface all of that with the fact that we are aware that these were real people at one point in time. Oh, that sounded awesome, awful. Um, uh I want to preface all of that to say that we are aware that these are real tragedies about real people. We're not trying to trivialize it, but we are trying to explore true crime, talk about these things. And that is, um, is, is as, as, as that is the case, such is the nature of our podcast. So uh, yeah, please be aware of that. Um, and yeah. And thanks for joining us. Uh, I think, I think that's it. Anything else? Well, no, other than my NPR outro, this has been Jessica Chobot and Andrew Bowser, and you've been listening to The Untold Hour. Bye. Bye. Untoldians, that is it for this episode of The Untold Hour. Thank you for joining us on this weird and wild ride into the bizarre. If you are interested in sharing your own story of the weird, send us your listener stories to theuntoldhourpod at gmail.com. Come join the Untold Hour Convo over on my Discord server and our Facebook group. And you can follow us on our socials, Instagram at the Untold Hour and at Untold Hour Pod on Twitter. Starbands Audio, a, podca <clears throat> a podcast network.